If you'd like to earn CPE credit for listening to this episode, visit earmarkcpe.com. Download the app, take a short quiz, and get your CPE certificate. Continuing education has never been so easy. And now, on to the episode. Welcome to Crypto with Accountants, powered by BitWave, where we talk with technologists and crypto enthusiasts as we discuss current events in economy, politics, technology, and digital assets with thought leaders from around the world. Today, we have a great friend of BitWave and someone who has an immense wealth of knowledge in the Web3 accounting profession, Emily Cheshire. Emily is a leader of Aprio Cloud's blockchain and cryptocurrency team providing outsourced accounting, technology solutions, and blockchain consulting to CEOs and CFOs. Emily, thank you so much for being here. It's always a privilege to speak with you. Uh, Also, Emily is part of our BitWave Partner Advisory Council, so um, the amount of knowledge she brings to the the community at large, as well as BitWave, has been so appreciative. And again, thank you so much for being here. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So um, Emily, yeah, thanks for ha- thanks for coming on. We uh, it's always a delight to get to chat with you. So I think where I where I'd love to start would just we we always like to start with people's you know sojourn into crypto as as kind of day one. You know, could you tell us what what got you interested? I mean, was it you were at Aprio and you you uh, sneezed at the wrong time and ended up having a bunch of these clients, or was it was it more uh, a more uh, deliberate uh, entry into crypto? Oh. Uh- a, a bit of both, I would just say. <laughs> so, and I completely agree. I feel like everybody kind of stumbles in in their own unique way, and it's definitely one of the most like fascinating things. I always ask the same. So, I've always been like really. I I was the kid who was obsessed with money, right? And and like, <laughs> and I mean like Monopoly was my favorite game, and I was everyone's ass, and I was like age six, and I just like loved it, and like so I've always been really interested in it, like personally so when i first started hearing about like bitcoin you know like this magic internet money i just thought it was like the coolest thing it was basically monopoly money 2.0 so (laughs) monopoly money 2.0 that you can actually make money on for real i just thought it was like the most coolest thing and was that was that also how you got into accounting in general like you you just loved you love that entire aspect of money and and how it all works and how it flows pretty much i mean I was the I was the the you know the young kid that was like I want to make as much money as possible. What can I do? I need a business, and I was like I have no idea what business I'm going to start. So I might as well learn how to run a business. So I'll become an accountant, uh, and then I realized I just love working with everybody else's businesses. So here I am. So to your point, that was kind of like that combination. Um, and then, you know, like on, on the personal side, you know, like when Bitcoin first came in, like that was really cool. And then you start hearing about like, you know, Ethereum and then it could suddenly start doing all these like really cool things. And, you know, you, I, I really got interested in probably sort of 2017, 2018, and then things started going a bit crazy and it was just so much hype and it was, it, this, this industry is bonkers and that's why I like yeah. it. And then kind of on the professional front, I mean... Here at Aprio, we've been working with kind of crypto clients for like a decade now. So really, really long time in the grand scheme of like crypto itself. And a lot of that work was centered around kind of the audit side, the tax side. And, you know, like on the outsourcing side, we had a few clients and it was starting to grow. And, you know, I kind of 
could see where the industry is going. And, you know, like today, it's very kind of crypto native. Everyone's still in their like development phase. Everyone's working with each other. But, you know, even like now you're seeing like people like Shopify and like they're building in like, Oh, there was a big Stripe, the big Stripe announcement yesterday yes. of, of native native USDC integration to Stripe. I mean, if that's not an indicator of of things of of movement in the industry, I don't know what is. Yeah. Exactly, it's huge. Before we get too deep into like the the crypto stuff here, let's just really briefly. Can you tell us a little bit about Aprio? And I, I, this isn't meant to be too much of a shill, but tell us a little bit about Aprio. And I and I'd love to ask a few questions about on the audit side too, just because that's one of the hot topics now is is how crypto companies are auditing. And I believe Aprio does do that, right? Sure. Yes. Yeah. So uh, we're the twenty uh, sixth largest CPA firm uh, in the US. Um, that's funny. Uh, that's funny. You know that off the top. So is that is that a measure? Like, does everyone know that? Uh, and like, it, it came out recently. When so it pops up, you're like, we're 25 aware. now. <laughs> Screw you. You uh, know, regional. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're actually the fastest growing firm too. So I probably should have led with that one. But uh, <laughs> full, full uh, kind of full service. So like you said, tax audit, accounting, AML, you name it, we do it. And you know, we've built a really strong uh, like digital asset segment team too here so um lots of cool things happening and you guys are doing uh, and i i uh, i don't want to put you on the spot here, but you're doing audits right now for digital asset companies is that right yeah. yes yeah and the only reason i mentioned this is that not everyone like oh, the big four is sort of stepped back from doing audits of uh digital asset companies obviously armanino uh, uh wrapped up that business who was well known for it so aprio i think is one of the not there's maybe a handful of folks out there that are still kind of doing doing that piece of it. But that's not really your side of it, right? You're on more of the outsourced CFO part of it, right? Correct. Yeah. So, so yeah, I mean, to your point, we definitely are still doing audits. We're still working with digital asset clients. And, you know, that's an area that, you know, we're committed to the space. We're managing risks. And, and, and obviously, there's a lot going on and we're having to be very careful. But we're still in that space. Um, and, yeah, and, I'm, anything I'm on the interesting. side. Anything interesting to talk about on the audit side before we, because we'll spend the rest of the, the whole talk here talking about accounting. Is yeah. there anything interesting to talk about on the audit side? Like are, I know there's been, you know, there's the PCAOB made some movements towards potentially releasing some sort of steps, uh, some sort of like actual directives for how to do a proof of reserves. Anything interesting on that, 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 that you guys are seeing? Any interesting requests? Are you... Is it still a fun place to be or is it just all nerves right now? Uh, I will say... It's we're still recovering from all the companies pulling out. We're still having to be really, really careful on that front too. You know, the the proof of reserves, it, it it's still an area that there's a lot of contention around and, and, yeah. and you know, right now we don't do that service for clients. But you know, I would say if there's anyone that's needing an audit or, or like looking into it, the the key is to prepare for it. So yeah. you know, like audit readiness is key. Um, and I think a lot of the, the firms that are still in, in you know, working with companies with audit, you know, the key is basically effectively like a, an audit before the audit to make sure they're ready for the audit. Because there, you know, that there is typically a lot of recommendations and things like that. And, and that's definitely a change that we're seeing in light of everything that happens. Yeah, yeah. Uh, any Any recommendations to businesses that are out looking for audit partners right now in terms of both like uh, audit readiness as far as you know and also what to do with your books and things like that i mean besides you know doing your books using bitwave stuff like that but you know yeah. more general 
Yeah, I mean, general is, you know, it, it doesn't just encompass the accounting, it also encompasses a lot of the internal controls, right? So, I mean, you take FTX, and they had expense approvals via Slack, I think, or something crazy. For what yeah. it's worth, all right, of all the things that FTX did, that was the one that bothered me almost in some ways the least, because at least it is documentation, you know, That's like, true. compared to just moving a billion dollars around, like, there is a history there of putting a little rocket emoji when, and like, there's a real world where if if they'd actually been consistent, where like he always used the same approval <laughs> like emoji, yeah. it could have been really like there's a world where it was almost cool. Like but... sunglasses emoji means yes. <laughs> like it Angry was this face. close to being no. to being fun. Because <laughs> even like I don't like, it's a funny thing because like I use we use Slack, we use Divi here and we use Slack. Uh I get a little Divi message in Slack when I need to approve certain things and I hit the approval button. So like there's something that's almost really cool about it, but then they just did it absolutely yeah. the worst way it was, possible. It was so close. <laughs> it was so close. <laughs> but, you know, like, it's really just making sure, you know, like I said, like, their internal controls. So it's not just the good records, it's the internal controls as well. And I think that's getting a lot more attention. So, yeah. you know, people just need to think about the bigger picture rather than just kind of the numbers. So. Yeah, because we, we talk about that a lot is that people in the crypto space tend to be good. There's one control we tend to be good at, which is, operational security around private keys. We mm -hmm. tend to think deeply about that, but then almost everything else is tends to get sort of waylaid. And that, you know, I mean, that includes expense reports is obviously a great example, treasury management practices, all of that. Um, what do you, what do you think is like the best advice to someone as they're, as they're embarking on a control journey? I know that's, this isn't exactly your, your specialty. Sure. So you're, we're sure. kind of like taking you out on the limb here, but. <laughs> I've dabbled, I've dabbled, but I'm the expert. I mean, so for a start, I would really just say it kind of like everything It's really it's much easier to get things in place from the start while you're small than once you've got this massive juggernaut and you're trying to put all this stuff in. And also when it relays to the need for an audit or, you know, you're going to need one later down the road, finding an auditor is a takes is taking months for companies yeah. right now. What yeah. used to be a fairly quick process is just taking months and months and and you chances are the auditors are going to make sure there's some audit readiness process in place beforehand too so it's really the you've got the processes you've got the audit readiness and then the audit so it's like a step-by-step -step process so you know really just planning ahead and just making sure because you know the second you need an audit i mean we, we've seen companies that have said they they urgently need an audit to close on a deal or to yeah. get investment Good luck. It's, it's yeah. just not it's gonna happen like happen. that. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, and and uh, Emily, you and I were just in in Austin for consensus and the Enterprise Digital Asset Summit, the Bitwaves Bitwaves Big Conference, and I I was talking to someone who had been in onboarding. Uh, uh, what do they call it? compliance? Like getting through the compliance and the onboarding mm -hmm. review of an audit firm for going on five to six months. This was a yeah. crypto native company, and I think that's become a bit of the of the. Um, the norm here. Um, one question I love, and this again, this is this is off the limb for you a little bit, so feel free to, to not answer any of these. You know, I think audit readiness tends to be, any sort of readiness tends to be a four-letter word where people are like, oh no, this is just the big four trying to milk me for money. That's, I'm not doing readiness. But I, you know, I tend to think when it comes to crypto, audit readiness actually 
if you're doing it right, you can turn it into a way to actually save money on the other side. So I, I often tell the story of, of one of our first uh, bigger, bigger clients that was doing an audit with the big four. Uh, and we showed up to one of these meetings and this was like our first, it was like the audit kickoff meeting. And so they brought their team, they brought us and then the, the big four brought their team. And I, I swear to God to this day that the, the cost of that meeting from the big four side was more than our entire license with this client. I mean, because they brought something between 50 and 60 people from the from the auditor, the big four side. And so it's one of those things that, like there's, uh, do you have any tips to share or like how you think about getting ready for audit too? Not just as audit readiness in the abstract, but also like, if you start thinking about audit readiness as a way to save some money and not have 50 people yeah. show up to a audit from your from your big four auditor. Yeah, I mean, the, a lot of the, the viewpoint is really about kind of switching your view because really the audit readiness is just kind of, it, it's basically a check to make sure, you know, is everything in order? Is everything in a good spot? And if, if you know that it is, to your point, you know that the audit's going to go a lot smoother. You know that, you know, it, and that's going to get reflected in the time, which is going to get reflected in those fees. But not only do you have, you know, that that kind of peace of mind, but equally, frequently, what can come out of the, the audit readiness process is kind of recommendations that can actually lead to, like, you know, improved operational efficiencies or, or to, you know, make sure that you've got processes in place now so that when you do need certain things like a funding round and stuff like that later you're already prepared so there there is kind of a a potential to see like a an roi from an investment point of view but there's also an roi in terms of you know like the operational side too that to your point can get overlooked when you're just looking at you're looking at time and cost right those yeah. are the things that you see so um there's some other points to it too I mean, yeah. the people i mean the auditors just want to see that you're thinking about a lot of this stuff yeah. too when it comes to a lot of the control stuff they want to see that you just actually have put some brain cycles into it at the end of the day as you get into it sorry rafael go ahead bud no i was just saying i appreciate what emily you know in previous discussions that i've heard her talk about driving home the fact that there's, you know, a lot of these companies are trying to go a million miles an hour, but they forget, you know, the business fundamentals. That's what Emily is really kind of honing out. For, to be prepared for that stuff, you have to start with a good foundation and just focus on the business fundamentals first. So Emily, let's let's get back to your your sweet spot, which is the accounting the accounting and uh, outsourced CFO side of all of this. I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you a question that's a little bit uh, funny on that side, but um, yes. tell me what. As you know, from a little bit less of the outsource accounting side, a little bit more of like the CFO side, let's talk a little bit about what it means to be a crypto CFO. Because it's not quite like being a CFO for a, you know, I, I pick on people who who repair pool equipment. I don't know why. Just I think about like when I think about like a, a like a local small business, I think about a, a guy who goes out repairing pool equipment. I don't know why. But like the, a CFO for a company like that, uh, that is you know, very traditional, very labor driven is very, very, very different than CFO role for a crypto company. Talk to me about how you how you think about the CFO role at a crypto company. Sure. Um, yeah, so to your point, it, I mean, it's, it's pretty unique and a lot of it's driven by the, the the nature of the industry and a lot of, you know, you've got the internal factors and then the, the 
the wider macro kind of regulatory side. <laughs> it's, it, this constant flip-flop of micro to macro that you're dealing yeah, with. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of just like constant. Uh, so, I mean, you know, like the, the, there's a lot of differentiators. So, you know, the first thing that that's kind of key, and this isn't necessarily, I mean, part of it is forward-looking. So, like, the, the role of a CFO is really to be kind of forward-looking and strategic and plan, right? You know, the accountants, the controllers, the, the historic stuff, that's that. So, you know, it's really to kind of plan for what's next. And, uh, you know, one of the unique things about this industry is that what's next, who knows, right? Who knows? In terms of the regulations, in terms of the stuff going on with the SEC, it's almost kind of In terms of, of the like, price. I mean, come on, Bitcoin's at 30K right now, which yeah. is, is kind of crazy. If you were, if we were like sitting here four months ago, if, right after FTX, like no one would have expected to yeah. bounce back like this. Exactly, like ETH doubled. It went to like below nine hundred bucks at one point. Yeah, yeah, crazy. And then there's ordinals come along, and yeah, I, I always kind of describe it as kind of like a day game of dodgeball, and you've got literally all these balls like flying right at you, <laughs> and you know you almost just kind of check the crypto news website, and it's like, oh, like seriously, like what today? Um, <laughs> so you know, it's about kind of getting ahead of that and that's a that's a huge point of it right because but from a cfo standpoint does that mean uh not playing the game sometimes i mean does that really mean like like do you do you tend to offer treasury advice to your clients that are like guys you know love you to death you're sitting on 90 percent of your working capital is in bitcoin right now there are some risks if you do that let me outline them yeah. like do you, i mean do you tend to give that kind of advice at the at the macro level yeah i mean i would say treasury management has been the hot topic since all the banking stuff happened you know we had clients that were obviously banking with those yeah. banks and you know a lot of it is about to you know what's their appetite for risk and this industry it can be pretty high. <laughs> you're, <laughs> you're asking the wrong group of people. Would you ask, yeah, like, what's exactly. your risk appetite? Like, well, infinite. Uh, what's <laughs> yours? <laughs> yeah, like we're in crypto. What do you think? Um, so you know, it's about you know where do they? I mean, it's not just like what banks to hold fiat. It's hey, are you gonna? You know, what about your crypto treasury too? And you know, what's your horizon? When do you need it? What's your cash burn? You know, like. It's kind of planning all that stuff in, which is really interesting and, and, and really unique perspective. And then you throw in stuff like Bitcoin halvings and the cycle and you try and plan that stuff in too. So definitely like way more than, you know, to your point, the pool guy. That's, uh, you know. <laughs> I think I think I was talking to someone at a happy hour who was starting a business repairing pool equipment in like Arizona, <laughs> and that's how I got on that. And I just have never forgotten that conversation because like there's not you, you can't imagine a business further away from like doing a startup than repairing pool equipment. Like they're literally they're two opposite sides of the world. Like they're both like going out and starting a business. You call both of yourselves call yourself an entrepreneur, but they're just they could be different, more different. Mm -hmm. Okay, so let, okay, let me. I, I do want to do one really quick uh, layover here on banking, which is what are you telling your clients right now around banks? Do you have banks that are crypto friendly? Uh, I'll I'll start uh, just to give a a brief example of the 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 landmine that is crypto banking. We've we've banked with FRB forever, and I love 
and this is a whole different podcast I'll have to do is is like just crying and I'll bring a glass of wine and cry into it because I'm so sad about I'm so sad about the unwind of FRB because I like I loved my banker there we got beers he's just the the best human being alive and it just it like honestly kills me this idea that a bank like that can't exist like a real relationship driven bank and so but the all of this is a precursor to say that we had we had a for account an account to JP Morgan and actually gotten turned down because they were it was either they weren't touching crypto or they weren't touching high tech mm-hmm. and they got me anyway so like jokes on jokes on you guys uh, but what are you what are you seeing from that side in terms of what banks will actually work with crypto companies uh, what's the vetting process there looking like any advice to offer yeah I mean we we have been going for a huge process because you know the go-to banks were the banks that everyone had that they don't have anymore. But, you know, typically, and and we've been, we've got a treasury management team here at Aprio and I've been working with them in this area too. And, you know, to your point, a lot of the large national banks, they, they just don't, don't want to touch any crypto companies. They, they just look at it from a, you know, the, the revenue that they get, I mean, compared to their whole portfolio, it's a drop in the ocean. Right. And then compared uh, to the risk that they're potentially the taking risk, on. Yeah. So, you know, you basically, most cases, unless you've already got an existing relationship there, yeah. or somehow you magically get in, you're not looking national. You're looking regional. I will say there is quite a few, If you know, and you touch on like the relationship point of view, there's quite a few kind of community banks, which again, kind of carries a slight high, high risk. Yeah, um, as as we are seeing right now. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And uh, it, it's really you're going down to the like regional and if not community kind of banking level to kind of get banking. So you know, we used to say to clients, you know, this is a risky industry, and a bank could turn around at any point and just say, hey, we actually just don't even want if work. they accept you once, they can yeah. sell boot you boot you later. Yeah. Yeah. So we used to say, you know, you want to try and work with. You know, have a primary one, but have like work with three, have a backup. I don't know if that's enough right now. So, you know, we, we've been building a lot of relationships, but again, it's with the smaller banks. Yeah. We, we ended up going with, I think at this point we're now, so still with FRB, so I guess JP Morgan, and then we ended up doing a deal with BMO. And I think we had an existing relationship there. So that, and and then we also are working on Fidelity, uh, not Fidelity, um, Franklin uh, Franklin Templeton, I think, is, is yeah. the two that we've been working on. So, I mean, I, I don't say that, to, I mean, I'm not trying to share the banks around. Like, it's just, it's honestly, it's very hard for crypto companies to get banked right now. So, you know, when you find companies like, when you find banks that'll help you uh, share yeah. wide. Yeah, I mean, we've, we've built a list of about 10 right now that we've kind of directly spoken to and a lot of them are still, you know, please speak to us first and we'll check, right? Yeah, because, we'll check. Yeah, it's still still like that, even for the smaller ones. So, so let's get uh, back to the to other CFO stuff. So before we deep dive into the accounting side, so other CFO stuff that you know we you touched on briefly, which is cash, which is like cash flow forecast and burn and burn rate and runway and all that kind of stuff. If you if you are working with a client who insists in keeping their money in crypto. I assume you guys are using kind of models that would approach a forex. You know, if you're sitting on a million dollars in euros, you know, are you are you guys actually actively doing best worst case Monte Carlo simulations and FP&A like that? I mean, well, how do you sort of approach that type of that type of thing? Yeah, I mean, it, it it's all kind of to your point. 
custom because you've got the volatility of crypto built in and yeah. um, you know like it, it's a case about modeling you know do we think it's going to go up down and what what happens what does that mean what does that do to your runway how does that all impact everything and yeah and the the models you know like normal you know like if you take a normal kind of forecast and you might say oh well revenue you know if that changes five percent or ten percent but no we're going the what about a hundred percent swings in all <laughs> yeah and then does that and then do you as you as you're tracking to those models do you do you discover interesting things or is it all just sort of feel like chaos theory at the end of the day (laughs) uh see it it feels like chaos theory (laughs) however it still feels like chaos theory however it's just that it's real (laughs) yeah (laughs) (laughs) Um, (laughs) so just without uh, the dinosaurs yeah exactly it just it's it's just crazy and a lot of it is really just to gear around you know like the the core conversations are like you know there's still so many that are pre-revenue but yeah. they've got quite large investments so they're kind of sitting on you know quite a lot of capital so it's about like monitoring runway and 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 how quickly are you going to get to you know revenue generating and what's that what's the revenue strategy what's your customer acquisition strategy and and that's where it gets really cool. And then the models are going to help kind of derive those sort of decisions and directions. You know, I, I want to come back to that in one second. But in uh, on, on the last thing on forecasting and models here, do you have any clients that are doing any sort of hedging at this point? So they're sitting on a million dollars of ETH and they want to leave it in there, but they buy some options just to sort of balance it out. Like, is that is that a strategy people are bringing or not really? Uh, I tell you what, I actually haven't seen that that much. I would say, I would imagine you're probably going to see that more on kind of like the fun side, whereas mm-hmm. I typically work and, and we typically work with a lot of like corporations, so like web yeah. developers, that kind of thing. And, you know, a, a lot of them are typically holding in like BTC and that's kind of like long-term or or ETH, right? They're, yeah. they're not holding crazy Crazy. Yeah, long, long tail coins. Yeah. Yeah. So okay, so let's get back to the. I, I do actually want to do a little brief stopover here. In uh, we're doing a lot of brief stopovers. This is super interesting because we don't we don't have this discussion of like the from the CFO side, and I really am enjoying this. When you are thinking about customer acquisition and stuff like that, how have you been thinking about the TAM for the crypto market? Like. I know this is a really specific question, but like, do you tend to say, okay, well, you know, company that's making NFTs, everyone in the world uses sneakers. So everyone in the world is your potential uh, TAM, is part of your TAM here. Or do you do you use some other sort of like saying like, well, we think we're, you know, you guys have 50% of the market, so we're going to call the market this side. How how do you start to actually think about like the, the TAM for your customers when you're either doing forecasts or, or revenue or customer acquisition? Yeah. Well, I will say by the time we typically are working with a client, they're they're normally not, you know, like in the in their kind of back room kind of really early startup. They've got funding. So so by the time we work with them, they typically know that or high level, they say like this is the market, this is who we're targeting. And then and then from there, a lot of the time it's the well, how do we how do we get to them and, and what's the revenue? What is the size of that that market right but you know one of the things i will say that we struggle with is and i'm sure you've seen it we see it all the time is the 
well, we were building this project and that's where we raised the funds. But actually now there's this new shiny penny and we're going to scrap this and go do this. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's an interesting it's an interesting market in terms of like builders with high velocity of uh maybe like high ADD propensity is maybe a good way to say it. And that and that then causes other issues too because that also causes issues with your banking. There's other there's other knock-on effects of that. Uh that even, like one of our one of the people that we know that that did this moved from doing kind of uh, DeFi work to doing more of a easy to access hedging strategy. And then the the protocol that they'd chosen as their as one of their major protocols got hacked, and so basically it's because of their pivot, they then ended up like losing a lot of the money, and it and that sort of ended up being a, a pretty you know bad day for their business. Yeah. I think is a way to say it. Yeah, it is. It is a really interesting. There's and startups are like that in the terms in sense that like you really do have to stay you have to stay both focus but also the ability to pivot at a, at a moment's notice do you, do you notice because you've worked with startups for a very very long time now you notice this is a bit more in the crypto startup way, world way more. <laughs> <laughs> you know i would probably say pretty much everything i see in the crypto world is just 10x compared to <laughs> i mean like SaaS companies have the like build fast break things fix it pivot yeah. but in crypto it's not like build fast and break things it's like build fast and then see next new shiny penny and build that fast. I've never seen anything like it. And it, but it's it's just the nature of the industry and the technology, and everyone's so excited and there's all this potential. Man, the world's the world's just speeding up in general. You know, it's one of those yeah. things. You look at like I like I sort of I love Chat GPT. I mean, I I joked when we were at EDAS that we'll have to invite it next year because literally <laughs> like half the people quoted Chat GPT on some part of their of their talk, but you look at the speed of development of that and that's a hint as to just it's getting easier to build stuff it's getting easier to to pivot and, and kick out good uis and all this sort of stuff so we're just seeing the velocity of all this going up and i don't know if that's good for the world or not like i don't you know our salespeople have have trouble already keeping up with the new features we push out let alone like if you if you just push that and push that and push that yeah um something that you brought you brought up you know the great topic of the outsource CFO, which is obviously you know, huge around a lot of firms. And I just wanted to get your opinion. We've talked to a lot of CAS leaders and in the in traditional side, and you know, and they see that there's a lot of huge potential from the digital asset side, segueing into the CAS practices. What are your thoughts on that? It, my, my kind of thoughts on that is it is a, digital assets as a whole is a growing industry. So to, to your point, kind of like, outsource providers they're going to come across it one way or the other at some point right and it's a it's a huge opportunity but the the learning curve is steep yeah um and it takes a very long time to get up to speed you know like the you know and our traditional account would say interest well is it staking is it you know like even the terminology is just different so how how uh, do you it's a great question i love that we got here so when you guys bring on new accountants into your into your practice area what is the what's what is the uh, boot camp like is it just you chuck them into the deep end of the pool give them a metamask wallet and tell them to to go like (laughs) you know figure out how to get into uh, a compound pool and don't come back till you get it or like do you guys run people through training sessions (laughs) so yeah i mean we do we do a lot of training and one of the things i would like say to anyone that started is the you're gonna feel like you're being hit by a freight train 
and you're going to feel like every day you have no idea what you're doing. And one day you'll just wake up and realize that you actually understand. But in, in terms of training, one of the things that we try and do is you know, the first thing is we actually have, there's an actually, you know, like we partner with AICPA and they have a blockchain course. So like every person goes through that. That's going to cover the basics and specifically for accounting. And then the key is the team because every person in the team, even if they started not in the space, starts leaning one way or the other about like a particular area of crypto and they almost become like a de facto expert and they really like that area. And, and just, Having that team, like that community and the conversations really helps with learning. So we do a lot of meetings where we're just chatting about like changes and, and cool things. And, you know, like I love NFTs with new, like real world utility stuff. Yeah. That's my area. Yeah. Um, someone on my team loves DeFi. So, you know, like everyone's got their uh, area. Emily, give us the give us the sneak peek. What's your what's your favorite uh, NFT with kind of real world utility right now? What's your what's your what's your what's your shill? Come on. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I was hearing there's a few companies at the moment that are doing NFTs to produce you know, like high end goods. So yeah. you've got an NFT for like authentic authentication. So you could be buying like super expensive like whiskey or or like handbags. Yeah. Um and that's I think that's genius because not only do you can you prove the the authenticity of it, but you've accidentally created this community, like oh, whether yeah. or not you like it, and that's the community is like the key. So from like a like business development point of view, I just think it's just it's just so many benefits to it, and I just thought it was pretty cool. Hundred percent. So I'm I'm going to brag a little bit. I got to do a. Um consulting kind of session planning session with some of the michelin folks and one of the things that we recommended was was this this idea of like bringing the michelin stars online as nfts and then building this community where you're both collecting like as you go to these restaurants you're collecting the nfts of the of the restaurant itself you then have this notion of like you as a entity with the stars that you've gone to the stars you've eaten all that kind of stuff and they just announced that same thing it's a great it is a great use case for NFTs, like in a, yeah. in a very very deep way. And for Michelin, it's even better because it, you know, it's one of those things. Like, I I always like to look for use cases for for blockchain tech, and this is actually it's actually a really really good one because if you think about the various different types of POS systems that all of the different Michelin restaurants, you have you know, there's a thousand Michelin restaurants in the world. They're using Stripe or Clover or their homegrown POS or you know something some weird you know ten year old thing. The ability for, to bring all that together and make it kind of generally usable and then be able to publish stuff on the blockchain, all that. It's it's a great use case for blockchain as an abstraction layer from any one of these guys having to build the tech themselves entirely. So I, yeah. I love the Michelin's the Michelin use case. And I love the the Gary V use case, which is another one that sort of sneaks towards what you're talking about, which is the you know the restaurant he opened in New York that was kind of a country club uh country club for for crypto people. Yeah. Yeah, he he is doing some super cool stuff in the space, like his conference NFT tickets, and he was one of the first, I think, to like pioneer that stuff. So, yeah, uh, yeah, I was gonna say conference tickets, conference tickets, yeah, yeah, yeah conference tickets, con concert tickets. You concert. know, we still haven't seen. We haven't seen that fully come out yet. I don't think like we've seen people playing around the edges with it, but I don't think we've yet fully, fully seen no. it uh, uh, it's, happen it's here. The, it's the nice to have that's supplemented on the side. It's not the primary area. So 
I love this. Anyone that's in that space. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, us too. Like, absolutely. But I love this idea of of as you're building up a practice area, basically brown bags or whatever you want to call it, like little informal learning sessions for to get together and talk about the stuff you're seeing. Because again, this industry moves so incredibly fast that it is. Gosh, we should even start doing something like we should have Bitwave should start doing something like this. We just get all of our partners together to talk about the crazy things that we're all seeing and, <laughs> and chit chat the brown a brown bag like that. Um, super interesting. So let's in the in the last like five or ten minutes here. Let's let's sort of step even one step deeper. So we've been you know we've been super high level around CFO uh, CFO role for a crypto company and talked about the FP&A aspects, all that kind of stuff. Let's talk a little bit about the. Con- Controller role. So, you know, you as a controller at a company, uh, which I think is sort of part of the outsource role, how do you, what do you think about your your function there? What do you think about your roles and responsibilities as controller? Yeah. You know, so, I mean, you've got the standard practices. We, we kind of just say that, you know, you've got all the fiat stuff. You've still got all the standard stuff that you need to make sure, right? You need to make sure all your payables are getting paid, all the employees are getting right. You've got to make sure that's all right. You've got to make sure it's in the records. When it comes to digital assets, you've got the added level of complexity there. So there is there is a huge amount of, you know, the accounting for it, we all know is really, really complex. And using a tool makes it a thousand times easier, but it is still difficult. There is still a huge manual component of it. So really the controller's job is really to, you know, know those figures inside and out and know the business process inside and out to identify those chain, you know, the, that yeah. impact. And, and and that impact, especially on the digital asset side, is far, like the magnitude and the, the effects of it is much higher than a standard company because every transaction can have a capital gains impact. Right, right. And you code one thing wrong, and, and we picked this up immediately, but you just code one thing wrong and it created a $3 million gain. Yep, yep. You imagine if you don't miss pick that up, right? <laughs> like that's a terrifying tax bill. So, you know, like just knowing the impact and knowing the treatment and more importantly being able to spot it is key and a lot of it's around kind of like processes. So, yeah. We have a lot of controls where we'll start, you know, reviewing do the figures, do the quantities tie to like what's on chain. You know, so we don't want to just get reliance on on the report. Um, so we just go and check on chain and it's very similar to like, you know, fiat, does the bank match the, yeah, the bank statement? Yep, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Just, just so much more complicated yeah. <laughs> <It's just laughs> <Exactly>. unnecessarily. <laughs> Do you tend to give your clients advice on what exchanges to use or what exchanges maybe to avoid or how to think about exchanges in the abstract to make your life a little bit easier? Or do you not have a lot of luck asking clients to make your life easier? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I typically go with the tactic of we're going to advise you on, you know, some exchanges are great. Some have really good reporting. And it's the same with blockchains. It's the same yeah. with like the scanning tools. Some are terrible. You can't even yeah. download anything. However, I I, will, I always just say, you know, like just be aware of the impact and that, you know, if it, if it ultimately, if it's more time consuming on our side, that the costs are higher. But I, you know, it's the do what makes the operate most sense operationally for your company and we'll figure it out. Yeah, but yeah. making sure they're aware of all of the kind of facts before making that decision. I mean, typically by the time they work with us, they're doing 50 million things in 50 different places. So yeah. we just have to figure it out. But you know, going forward, it's always about kind of recommending 
you know, best practices. Any best practice that you tend to recommend for, you know, we call it wallet hygiene, this idea of either segregating your wallets, but then also from your perspective, it's making sure you're getting all the wallets. Do you, do you have a, uh, a meeting that you regularly do with the CTOs to, to get new wallets? Like, do you have a best practice for how you do this or do you just, yeah, every time you talk to them, ask them the question or remind them, like, what's your, what's your best practice around making sure you have all the wallets? So a lot of it, the key is just during that onboarding period uh, with yeah. the client. So we will do a, a really deep review of, of all their wallets and we'll ask for all their wallets. We'll, we'll check and, and sort of double check that they've got them all. They will say yes. Most of the time they haven't got the wallets. <laughs> <laughs> um, during the catch up and ju- just during the day to day accounting, we see addresses that you don't know. You see transfers. Right. Now, it, it's not typically that might pick up 80% of the unknown wallets, but not always. Right. And, you know, sometimes you, you know, you figure it out because something's come out of the exchange and you have no idea where it's went. Yeah. It, it's definitely an, an issue. And, and, you know, we always stress that. And it goes back to like the audit readiness. Like, what is your controls over the wallets? How do you record them? Right. Who has or even who, who you're sending out, uh, who you're sending money to? How do you get that into a vendor list somewhere? Things like yeah. that. Yeah. So it kind of goes back to that. And and you know the volume. I mean, we're not always missing them, but it's free, pretty frequent. It, it kind of is an indication of kind of what's that process. And and you know sometimes you're a startup, and that's just the nature of startups, right? Yeah. So it is what it is. But as they grow and mature, the conversation changes around to like, how can they prevent that? Do yeah. you, last question I'll ask and then we can we can call it. Do you tend to, do all of your clients follow kind of full US gap? Do you, do you have like a gap light that maybe you don't do impairment or things like that? And then when do you make decisions to, to roll someone from kind of gap light up to a full gap with it? and principal market analysis and documenting everything, all that kind of stuff. How do you how do you guys make that decision? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So you say gap light, we say gapish. Gapish. <laughs> gap- gapish. Gapish. <laughs> so I would say, you know, most clients from a cost benefit analysis point of view are going to be in the gap light gapish. <laughs> really, the trigger to move to full gap is either you've got investors and they're going to need it or they're going to want an audit for some form or another. So, you know, it's really a, the further in advance we know that, the better it is because you've got the memos, there's a lot of review, there's a lot of, because the regulations aren't set in stone, there's a lot of decisions that need to be kind of made properly. You know, so most companies don't really want to go there because they know it's going to cost a lot. Yeah, yeah. So it's all a cost. It's a cost benefit analysis based yeah. on. It's not. It, and benefits probably not the right word. It's a cost analysis versus a demand that someone's making and Correct. and uh, when you're ready for yeah. it. Well, Emily, as always, this is. I just love talking to you. This is so much fun. This was really interesting. Starting at the the top and just working our way down to uh, to Gapish uh, here. <laughs> um, share share with our listeners how people get a hold of you, how they get a hold of Aprio, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Uh, so I'm on Telegram, LinkedIn, Twitter. Uh, so if you just type in Emily Cheshire, you'll find me. Uh, if you throw me into Google, my name into Google, you'll, you'll find me on the app here website and there's a direct link so you can contact me there too. So always happy to reach out to companies or just builders in the space because as you can tell, 
just love chatting to anyone in this space. So um, yeah, feel free to hit me up. Absolutely. And of course, uh, you can find Bitwave at bitwave.io. We are uh, going to be in BDC Miami. So uh, Emily, you're going to be down in Miami? I'm not. I've attended quite a few conferences, but Apria already going to be there. <laughs> yeah. Dude, already this year, I swear, I've been on the road for, about, I've been in hotel rooms already a month this year. And I hate staying in hotel rooms. <laughs> I know. My kids are going to start forgetting who my name is. So um, yeah. <laughs> no, the Aprio is going. There's a few of my colleagues that are going. So um, if anyone's coming, we'd definitely be happy to kind of have a chat and say hi. Yeah, same with us. So, so feel free to reach out, info at bitwave.io or visit us at bitwave.io. Uh, Emily, thank you so much. Absolutely a pleasure. Thank you Likewise. so much. Brilliant Likewise. as always, Every Emily. Every time, it's always good. <laughs> All right, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in. 